What were you doing on Friday evening when you learned about the decision from Texas? I was actually just pulling in to my home. I was sitting in the driveway, and suddenly my phone started to blow up. Melissa Grant is a co-founder of CARIFEM, a network of abortion providers that also offers telehealth services. And she was sitting in her driveway Friday night when Texas federal judge Matthew Kaczmarek blocked the FDA's approval of a key abortion drug. Even though abortion providers across the country had been bracing for a decision, few expected it to come so late on a Friday, at the start of a holiday weekend for a lot of people. Dr. Sarah Wallet is an OBGYN in Michigan and chief medical officer for Planned Parenthood there. I had finished working in one of our health centers, and I had left to go away for the weekend with my kids to visit family for the Easter holiday. And I got a text message while I was in the car driving that the decision had come out, and uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. But then another ruling came, this one from a federal judge in Washington state who said, wait a minute, the drug mifepristone is safe and effective and should remain available. Here's Melissa Grant from CARIFEM again. I felt it to some degree almost like whiplash. It's like, okay, we looked one direction. Now we're looking the opposite direction, both across the country and in terms of the ruling. And again, to some degree, it wasn't a surprise, though um, interesting it could happen so fast. In the meantime, lawyers, doctors, the Biden administration, and people seeking abortions are all trying to figure out what these two conflicting rulings mean. And so is our legal affairs reporter, Anne Marimo. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, yes, we were all waiting for Judge Kaczmarek in Texas to rule, um, and there was a distinct real possibility that he would suspend FDA approval of mifepristone. But to have uh, less than an hour later the contradictory ruling from Washington state, it was like whiplash. Um, we knew that the Washington state case had been filed. There had been a hearing the week before, um, but the timing was just um, unlike any anything I'd ever seen before from the federal courts. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Libby Casey, your guest host today. It's Tuesday, April 11th. Today, we tease apart these two conflicting rulings on a key abortion pill and what they mean for abortion access across the country, even in places where it's fully legal. At the center of these two cases is this drug, mifepristone. It's been legally used in the United States for abortions for 23 years. Mifepristone was approved back in 2000 as safe and effective by the FDA. The studies have shown, you know, 99% um, of the people who use this pill have had no major adverse consequences. Um, there's bleeding and cramping that happens as part of the process, but um, people are not ending up in the hospital. Um, and it's one of two medications used to terminate pregnancies, um, mifepristone and then misoprostol. Um, and if mifepristone 
Pristone is taken off the market, abortion providers are saying um, that they could rely solely on the second drug, misoprostol. But mifepristone has been controversial from the beginning, um, and there have been people trying to challenge its approval. Um, but the FDA has been asked time and again um, to do new approvals, and they have, and they have loosened restrictions on the medication. Um, it used to be that you had to um, show up in person at a doctor's office or a hospital, um, and now you can get the drug from a pharmacy and take it at home. All right, Anne, let's step back. <laughs> and like, because this is confusing, I, I really want to hear you explain the ruling. So explain what the first ruling was, what it was, what it means, and then we'll go to the second one. So in Texas, Judge Kaczmarek uh, took the unprecedented step of suspending FDA approval after 23 years of the abortion medication mifepristone, which um, is used in more than half of all abortions nationwide. The FDA has uh, time and again approved this medication as safe and effective. Um, the judge said at the FDA did not follow its own um, guidelines and regulations for showing that it was safe and effective. Um, he said that these anti-abortion groups that challenged uh, the medication um, had standing or legal grounds to sue, and he uh, suspended FDA approval. And how massive is it for a judge to halt the approval of a drug that the FDA approved more than 20 years ago. So the judge is now telling the FDA how to manage its approval process. How, how big is that? It is unprecedented, a single judge in a single district in Texas um, upending the nation's uh, regulatory process for approving drugs um, has never done something like this before. And that's why you see DOJ and the drug maker saying this will have massive implications for the way other drugs are approved um, or potentially taken off the market that people rely on. And again, this was 23 years ago in 2000. Um, and the FDA has time and again um, approved it and loosened restrictions and said this is safer uh, than many other drugs. So within the hour, a different federal judge, this time in Washington state, ruled the opposite, basically, and tried to ensure that mifepristone, the drug in question, would be available to people in 17 states and the District of Columbia. I explain that. This was really a defensive lawsuit filed by 18 attorneys general from Democratic states. Um, they went to court asking a Washington state judge to loosen restrictions and make access to mifepristone easier. The judge did not grant the attorneys general what they wanted, um, but he did say while the case continues, the status quo has to remain. He said, FDA, you can't do anything to change access to this drug. So that decision is in direct conflict with the judge in Texas, Judge Kaczmarek, saying, FDA, you need to suspend approval. And that's why there's confusion and why the Justice Department is asking for some clarification and why the Supreme Court may ultimately have to get involved. Do we know if the federal judge in Washington state, Judge Rice, did this on purpose to counter the Texas decision? 
judges don't tell us um, about their thinking and timing. Um, all we know is what is written in the ruling. Um, he is known for being uh, very efficient and quick, um, but the hearing really was just the previous week, um, and this came out pretty quickly, and the timing is just incredible. So what does this all mean right now in terms of what the Justice Department's trying to do, what the drug maker does, um, and, and how are they now given the opportunity, as you said, to appeal and, and try to get a second glance at what Judge Kaczmarek in Texas has decided? Judge Kaczmarek recognized um, how consequential his decision is and said, I'm going to put my ruling on hold for seven days to give the parties a chance to appeal. So his order does not take effect until midnight Saturday. Um, in the meantime, the Justice Department and the drug maker have asked the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which includes Texas, to please stay the judge's order by noon on Thursday so that they have time to then go to the Supreme Court if they don't get the answer they want. So this could really get to the Supreme Court this week? It could, yes. Usually the court system moves pretty slowly and deliberately, um, but here they are asking for things to move quickly. Critics of the lawsuit in Texas accuse the anti-abortion groups of judge shopping, like specifically going to Amarillo, Texas, because they knew they would get this judge, Judge Kismarek. Very conservative, has a record of being anti-abortion, Trump appointed. But after him, it goes to the Fifth Circuit, which is also a very conservative circuit court. Can, can you talk about how they make decisions? Sure. This has become a tried and true path for conservative groups um, to identify one of a handful of conservative judges in these single-judge districts in Texas. Um, that means that they know when they file there, um, they will get a judge who they view as sympathetic to their um, perspectives and policy preferences. Um, and then they know after that judge rules that if the case is appealed, it will go to the conservative-leaning Fifth Circuit, again, that has um, a big crop of Trump-nominated uh, judges, but also has been conservative for many years. So that really allows them to um, sort of guarantee or uh, have a good chance of success. And then the Supreme Court decides, you know, whether or not to leave those rulings in place um, or to say that they made a mistake. We'll return to our conversation with Anne. But I also wanted to know, how are abortion providers experiencing this moment? We had provided abortions all day on Friday with mifepristone and misoprostol, as well as in clinic with procedural abortion. And waking up on Saturday, we would do that again. Melissa Grant's group, Carafem, has abortion providers in Georgia, Tennessee, Illinois, and the Washington, D.C. area, and does telemedicine appointments, too. And she says it's been really confusing for everyone. She wanted to send a clear message to patients that they were operating as usual for now. The main message to get across to my staff, to any patients that had appointments with us, and to the community at large is that we are still open, we are still providing care, and we look to continue to do that in whatever way possible for the foreseeable future. You know, I hear you saying that your message to your clinics and your team was, nothing changes, we keep going forward. 
But what happens if Mifepristone is no longer approved by the FDA or if there, there is a stay and Judge Kaczmarek's ruling stands? What do you do? If Mifepristone becomes unavailable, we do know that there are other medications that can successfully cause an abortion that are available now and will continue to be available. Carafem started to offer an alternate option for medication abortion, which uses misoprostol, one of the two drugs that generally is used together, mifepristone and misoprostol, to cause an abortion, and it works on its own. And we've been offering it as an option to our clients since the year 2020. We will pivot and continue to offer that option to as many clients as choose medication abortion should we lose mifepristone. But we shouldn't have to. You know, I think this was my worst fear um, in that I hoped that something like this wouldn't happen, but it appears that access to Mifepristone really is at risk across the United States. And if nothing changes before Friday, that we could all lose access. In Michigan, Dr. Sarah Wallet with Planned Parenthood says she has been readying for hard conversations with confused patients during this uncertain time. Abortion medication is often the best and only option for people at home who may have trouble getting into an actual clinic. All of it just is infuriating because I'm a doctor. My job should be to take the best care of my patients possible. And I know for people who have chosen a medication abortion or who need treatment for a miscarriage that Mifepristone is that best thing possible for them. It is the most effective. It is very, very safe. And the fact that all of that seems up for debate is infuriating because it's not clinically, medically the right thing for me to do is to provide that medication for my patients. Dr. Wallet agrees that using misoprostol on its own can work and is safe, but she says it's not ideal. It's a protocol that the World Health Organization supports, but it's not the best one, and I worry um, I worry about what that means to switch to a less effective regimen, what it means for people who already have less access. When you say less effective, can you give me a sense of that? Yeah. Using the combination of mifepristone and mesoprostol um, to end an early pregnancy is about 95 to 99% effective. Using mesoprostol only is about 85 to 95% effective. People often also have more side effects from using a mesoprostol only protocol. And the timing of when they'll experience those side effects can be really variable and more difficult to predict, which makes it harder for, for patients to figure out when to use it or how, um, or how to use it around all of the rest of the things that are happening in their lives. After the break, we'll hear more about how the Biden administration and drug manufacturers are responding to these rulings. And we'll talk about how the courts are being used in a post-Roe world. We'll be right back. What's the White House saying about this? And and how are they going to pursue this case? You know, a couple of Democrats floated the idea that 
they should just ignore Judge Kaczmarek's ruling. Right. The FDA has something called enforcement discretion. Um, They can decide, you know, even if they are ordered to suspend approval of the drug, that they won't, you know, enforce or go after physicians or clinics that dispense the medication. Yesterday, we heard from Biden's press secretary, um, who said that the administration would uh, challenge this ruling in court um, and not ignore a judge's order. We stand by FDA's approval of mifeprestone, and we are prepared to have a legal, a long legal fight here. That is our commitment to women out there. That is our commitment uh, to Americans uh, across the country. Uh, But I'll say this, you know, it it is dangerous. But as a a precedent, uh, as a dangerous precedent uh, is set for a court to set aside the FDA's uh, expert judgment regarding a drug safe, safety and efficiency, it would also set a dangerous precedent for this administration to disregard, right, uh, a binding decision. So they're going to go through the process of appealing to the Fifth Circuit and to the Supreme Court if necessary. So who is this group that brought the lawsuit and what were their allegations about mifepristone? This is a group called the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, and papers filed uh, with the Secretary of State's office in Texas show that they registered as an organization in the state with an agent in Amarillo, where the courthouse is, just a few months before the lawsuit is filed. Um, They are represented by the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, ADF, which has led many of the challenges uh, to abortion, a conservative legal organization, uh, and those the lawyers uh, representing this group in court. Um, It includes um, some anti-abortion physicians and anti-abortion medical groups, again, who say that they have to um, treat patients who have used the medication and they say have um, psychological issues, have side effects, um, and that's a burden on their practice um, to have to treat these patients and that they're concerned that it's not a therapeutic drug, you know, it's something that terminates a a pregnancy and, in their view, um, a life. Um, They say that this drug is dangerous to women and girls and that the FDA did not follow the proper approval process and that um, approval should be suspended. What is their evidence for that? So these groups um, cherry-picked data and relied on unproven scientific articles to make the case that the medication is not safe, um, when in fact the FDA has repeatedly approved the medication as safe and effective and relied on numerous clinical studies involving thousands of pregnant women uh, to show that the drug is effective and really does not have these major complications or side effects. But what about the people who've taken mifepristone to have an abortion? Are they part of the lawsuit making complaints about the drug? So there are 5 million uh, women in the United States uh, since this was approved in 2000 um, who have had um, successful pregnancy terminations. And this is the argument the Justice Department and the drug manufacturer have made that the groups challenging the medication don't have a direct injury um, that would allow them to continue with this lawsuit. Um, This is called standing, and organizations need to have a direct injury in order to proceed in court. And the Justice Department and the drug manufacturer are saying there's no direct harm to these groups and they should not be allowed to continue um, because they are not the people directly affected by the medication. So how much do we know about what Judge Kaczmarek weighed as he was making his ruling? 
Judge Kaczmarek um, did seem to accept most of the arguments from the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine and quoted extensively um, from their briefs in his ruling and discounted um, you know, the many clinical studies and tests done on thousands of pregnant women over time um, that showed that the medicine is, is safe and effective. Did he wrestle with the implications of his ruling in terms of access to abortion by medication and also the FDA's regulatory process? He did say um, in his ruling that he doesn't take lightly that he's second-guessing the FDA, um, but that he feels uh, the agency did not follow its proper process. And he also, Judge Kaczmarek um, has a long history of anti-abortion beliefs, and he did sort of adopt uh, a lot of the language of the anti-abortion movement, uh, referring to doctors who terminate pregnancies as abortionists um, and extensively using terms like unborn human, um, as he talked about what the medication does. And what does this tell you about the ways that courts are being used to decide abortion access in the United States right now? Yeah, it was really striking um, to see the way um, this one group sort of targeted uh, Judge Kaczmarek in the single judge district in Amarillo um, and filed there, um, you know, being familiar with his views over time. And on the flip side, you had um, the 18 attorneys general from Democratic states and D.C. went to Washington state um, to file sort of a defensive lawsuit. But I want to be clear where the groups challenging Mifepristone in Texas uh, went to a single judge district. The attorneys general filed filed in a district in Washington state that has nine different judges, including two nominated by Republican presidents. Um, So they did not know which judge would be reviewing their case. So are you allowed to walk away from your computer right now, Anne, because like, or your phone? Because every hour, (laughs) it seems like there's a new twist in this and an update. Um, What are you watching in the next day, in the next week? Yeah, it's been a whirlwind um, of a week. Uh, we're expecting you know, more filings today. Uh, the deadline is midnight, but I imagine it will come before that. Uh, we're waiting for the Washington state judge to clarify how his ruling um, interacts with the Texas judge's order. And then I expect quickly we may see some action at the Supreme Court. If it makes it to the Supreme Court, which could be soon, what could that court do? Yeah, it's um, unclear how the justices will respond to this, um, but there are some recent examples of cases involving the FDA and involving this very uh, medication in which um, conservatives on the court, including John Roberts, um, talked about the importance of deferring to the FDA's expertise. So as you know, the, the court now has a a supermajority of conservative justices, but this is not sort of a clear case just about abortion. Um, it's also about you know the FDA's uh, regulatory abilities. And we saw yesterday a coalition of pharmaceutical executives uh, come out and say how problematic and disruptive this ruling is if it's allowed to stand on the entire marketplace for drugs and research in the United States. So what's happening this week in terms of people accessing mifepristone and what might happen next week? 
So Judge uh, Kaczmarek uh, put his ruling on hold for seven days. So the status quo is in effect uh, until midnight on Saturday. And the Justice Department has asked the Fifth Circuit to rule um, by noon on Thursday. So I don't expect anything to change um, before then. And thank you so much for explaining all of this, especially when it's such a complicated legal situation. Thanks for your interest. Anne Marimo covers legal affairs for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Alana Gordon. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Maggie Penman. Thank you to Rachel Rubin. And don't forget to grab a ticket for Martine's live event. It's on April 13th at 6th and I in D.C. But you can also stream it online. It's with the author of the new book, Romantic Comedy. We'll have a link to all the information you need in our show notes. I'm Libby Casey. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Thank you.